All right. Is there, is there like a test procedure here to make sure that thing's working? No, it is working. <laughs> Just that conversation we had about whether it's working was the test that it's working. Okay, it's working. This is Brian Pankratz here in Jerusalem. <laughs> Coming off a crazy night of adventure. And sitting here in my unit with our guest, Fight Pastor, who just happens to be in Jerusalem today and has made the time to be interviewed in this podcast. How are you doing tonight, Fight Pastor? Dreamy. <laughs> Dreamy. <laughs> Fight Pastor's a little bit upset with me because I smile too much. <laughs> Isn't that right, FP? No, you don't smile too much. You <laughs> smile without discretion. <laughs> I lack discretion in my smiles, but we're going to get to that in a bit. Um, what is it? Today in Jerusalem, the weather's been great. Uh, we've been eating lots of falafels. And you, you've been eating falafels. <laughs> You're a falafel eater. I have been because I'm on a tight budget. And falafels are cheaper than turkey. <laughs> we went to... Uh, the uh, Church of the Holy Sepulchre. We uh, saw the place. Well, not the place, but the rock that... Um, uh, I forget her name. Catherine? Constantine's mom? Brought, supposedly brought from uh, the mount of wherever Jesus died and cut out a big piece of rock, brought it to Jerusalem where his uh, supposed uh, tomb was, made a church... That had both those events in it. We spent a little bit of time there. We heard some Armenian singing, which was sweet. It was sweet, man. Yeah, it was actually... We uh, had a good debate about which of the three supposed sites of Jesus' burial. You, what are the three sites there, FP? Well, there, there's the Garden of Gethsemane, which is sort of the uh, perfect place in, in the... Oh, you mean the... the um, yeah, the Garden, the, ro- the garden Tomb. The, the garden tomb. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's sort of like it's set up like a nice little garden. There's this beautiful little tomb. It's all cut out of the rock. It's got its whole thing. And you can go in there and feel gardeny and toomey. That's right. Yeah. So that, that's kind of like a little bit too uh, perfect. It's too perfect. Too it's perfect. too likely to be the perfect yeah. place where Jesus died and rose again three feet from each other. Yeah, right. And then there's like the... Uh, in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, there's... Uh, a shrine essentially erected around a spot. Heavily venerated. Heavily, heavily venerated by Armenians, Greeks, and uh, today. Not mostly. so much Armenians, but the Catholics. The Catholics, yeah. yeah. And uh, so there's that. And then there's this little kind of grotto place off to the side where grotto Ma- gets- Miss Catherine, uh, as you <laughs> mentioned, may mm-hmm. have moved some stone to a certain location or not. I, who knows? I don't know. But, but there's this other place. Where the Armenians tend to congregate. It's and they another think that's tomb. The place. Yeah, it's another kind of tomb location. Just steps away from the heavily venerated tomb. Yeah. And today... Far less crowded. It was far less crowded. Yeah. Yeah. So we had a little debate about, like, which one actually feels <laughs> like the real one. Which, because that's all it really boils down to for anyone. Because nobody knows. Nobody knows. So... It's a mystery. Yeah, so, so depending on your, uh, how do you say... Theological persuasion, certain ones might feel like more like the right. real deal than others, right? Which or is, depending on your Enneagram type. I'll let you, I'll let you explain <laughs> that. And whether you live in your head, your heart, or your gut. And how much of a contrarian you are. All of these 
mystery elements of the human condition come into play when you have to choose, and we had to choose. Yeah, we and we discussed all those. Is it the pretty tomb, the venerated tomb, or the off to the side? Contrarian tomb. Contrarian tomb, that's yes, right. Yes, yes. And so Rod, I mean, FP. <laughs> <laughs> I only call him Rod because he's a bit of a lightning rod. That's not actually his name. So FP, let's just quickly give your <laughs> rationale for your choice, and I'll give my rationale for my choice, then we'll get on to the topic of the day, which is fear and football. Fear and football. I like fear that. and football. My rationale for my choice of it being the... Uh, least venerated off the side one is because the herd is usually wrong. <laughs> if you... The herd usually just follows well, the herd, right? So I, I read years ago some investor and there's numerous investors actually would go with this. They're basically like whatever the mass popular delusion is, bet against it. You'll be right more times than not. It's kind of the opposite of what I did when I bought Bitcoin at its height six months ago. That's right. That's right. They were selling it and shorting it at the time when we were buying it. That's what that's what the deal was. Gotcha. Yeah. So the idea being that the crowd uh, is persuadable and by the time the crowd actually catches on to anything and formulates some kind of a crowd focus, it's probably not mm. going to work out. Gotcha. So you're putting your money on this little off-to-the-side tomb. And I'm going to put my money on the heavily venerated tomb for historical reasons primarily is that um, when Miss Catherine ended up going back to Jerusalem to do these discoveries of finding where Jesus died and where Jesus rose from the dead, she chose the place to be heavily venerated because it was already being heavily venerated in secret. So she chose that area because secret Jewish Christian sects were already putting pictures of boats and pictures of crosses carved into the stone. And that's so she just kind of followed up on what was already trending at the time. But because it was trending in secret, that gives it more credence. Bit of a silence there. No, I, no, no, I, I like that. I like that. Because, because she was a political person. Oh, I mean, there's plenty of historical evidence that when Constantine converted, mm -hmm. it was because the Christians were getting too powerful, and he knew. Like, for example, <laughs> a certain football team in Jerusalem. Nice segue. Yeah, a certain football team in Jerusalem has become very, very popular because it's the Jerusalem football team. And all the politicians from Jerusalem are supporters of this certain football team because, mm -hmm. well, you got to be if you're going to have some political clout with all the football fans, which pretty much everyone is a f in Jerusalem is a fan of the Jerusalem football team, you see? So, political people are acutely attuned to this sort of dynamic. Well, let's back up a little bit for folks at home who don't know that there is such a thing as football and there's such a thing as football leagues. Soccer. Soccer. Soccer leagues. Yes. Yeah. And so... North America has a football league called the MLS. You may have heard of the Vancouver Whitecaps. They play in that league. Um, Spain has a league. England has a league. Uh, Ireland has a league. And even Israel has a league. So in this league, there are quite a few teams. And we didn't even know there was a league or that they even had teams until we met, till FP met this dude in the 
pub beneath our unit, the uh, catacomb pub, and then we began learning that there are teams. And, and, and they're politically uh, loaded. Politically loaded. Like, perhaps, the location of the tomb was a few <laughs> hundred years ago. <laughs> nice. Nice callback. <laughs> so FP is sitting in the pub, drinking beers with a fellow named Moses... And he's wondering out loud, what's up with all the chanting and singing outside our unit? And Moses tells him. Well, he tells me the story. Let's hear it. Well, you see, Mo- Moses, Moshe, is, is uh, how he goes by. And uh, he's an Orthodox Jew, but he takes his kippah, that little hat that the Jews wear off, to go into this particular bar. Because the particular bar that we are residing above... Mm-hmm. Is, uh, as we say, uh, left-leaning political establishment. Could you say radical? Yeah, definitely radical. There's Antifa uh, stickers all over and guys wear shirts. And all Antifa is? Anti-fascists. Ah. Radical left-wing folk. But there's very few of them around. There's only one tiny little bar in Jerusalem, apparently, with those uh, kind of leanings. And we're, we're camped above it at this point. Yes, we are. Yeah. So, anyway, it's... The fact that there's a Orthodox Jewish dude, and apparently what he told me was that Orthodox Jewish people are considered right wing. I mean, by and large, massively so. So he takes his kippah off before he comes in. He he likes the environment down there, and it's a great environment down in this mm-hmm. bar. And it's very it's very open, very accepting. Uh, you go in there, and nobody um, judges you, and you can be you know there's a bunch of gay folk in there and whatever. Uh, apparently, they judge you if you're Orthodox. Ah. Yeah, you know, so there's always that, you know, right. going on. So the radicals are more... Uh, They're radical. Inclusive. Unless you're not... <laughs> right. <laughs> Unless you're not, like, a, 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 the proper person. You know, it's, it, radicals are never inclusive. This is the definition of radicalism. Gotcha. This is why I think, anyway, it's my opinion. Anyway, so here, so, so I'm, I'm chatting with him, and he tells me that there's uh, the, the football league in Jerusalem, Baitar... That's what they're called, uh, and they're very radical. not the football league, the football team. Football team, sorry, football team. Yes, that's right. I'm, I, I, I uh, you could say your team because you're a big fan of the Baitar Jerusalem soccer team. Oh, am I? <laughs> well, for this podcast, you will be. Oh, okay. And I'm going to be a big fan of Haifa, the opposition. Yeah, Haifa, Haifa is the opposition tonight. And ha- we found that out by talking to our. But we're jumping ahead of the story. Okay, so. Uh, Baitar has uh, got some dodgy uh, past. Mm-hmm. They uh, are very supported by the Orthodox, supported by by Jews who are sort of very ethnocentric, and mm-hmm. uh, they've got. You can look it up on Wikipedia. We don't have to get into it, but no. they have some stories of them uh, being quite against Arabs, being mm-hmm. quite against you know whatever other ethnicities other than Jewish people playing on the Jerusalem team because Jerusalem is. Jewish, according to them, mm-hmm. which you know is being played out currently in a lot of geopolitical crap. So, anyway, so he tells me that there's going to be this big match tomorrow, and they are shutting down. The cops came to our bar. <laughs> I call it our bar because I guess we live over it. You got a bar everywhere you go. Yeah, well, this one is mine right now. So, so I, is the one in Nanaimo. That one's <laughs> yours too. Well, FP lives across <laughs> the street from a bar. Yeah, and it's 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 a good place. I mean, I know everybody, but it's not nearly as political as the one we're about. Apparently, <laughs> not even so, close. Not even close. So, anyway, he tells me that 
the the cops came in a couple days before, and they've told this bar they can't open up today uh, until late because there's a football match going on, and they're afraid that if there's all kinds of rowdy left wingers down here and a bunch of rowdy right wingers over right. there, that there's going to be violence, and so they have they, they be shut them down. Think out of a thousand people supporting the Jerusalem team. The right-wing political team, and maybe a hundred people underground supporting the alternate team, the Haifa team. Maybe a hundred. Yeah. Trying to put it in simple terms for the yeah, yeah there's not for the folks many. at home. So anyway, it's been pretty dead underneath our feet for a while. But down the street, we've been listening to massive chants oh. of uh, songs being sung, and uh, and then we figured out why because this is the Jerusalem fans, the Jerusalem team. They've been celebrating their team's future victory for like 48 hours straight through the night, all morning, all afternoon, all evening. In fact, they were celebrating so much this evening that I thought the game was over. They thought, well, they must have won. But <laughs> We both thought they must have won. We're like, what's all the cheering and celebrating going on? We didn't even know who they were playing at the time. We just yeah. Wow, these guys are celebrating again. They were celebrating last night. Now they're celebrating again. Yeah. We thought the game was in the afternoon, so we thought, they must have won. Well, good Uh, for them. Yeah. But the game hadn't even been played. No. Then I went out. I woke myself up from my nap and said, I'm going out because life is for the living, not (laughs) not the sleeping. So I went for a little excursion, and I walked around, and I noticed that there's this game being filmed. Not filmed, but... uh, Broadcast. Broadcast yeah. on these giant screens and all these pubs on this like party street. Think of uh, White Ave in uh, Edmonton or Calgary or uh, Electric Ave or uh, Commercial Drive in Vancouver. Just to kind of picture that and walking down and there's all these coffee shops and uh, bars and people are out in the street and there's screens up and everyone's watching this game that I thought was already over. So eventually I come back and I say, hey, FP, let's go check this out. Uh, we'll sleep when we're dead. So then we went up there, and we f- found a place to sit, a uh, table, an open table, and the server comes, and he's like, I like ask him, so is this game over? Is this like a replay? He goes, no, man, this game is on right now, just like a couple miles from here. It's a big game. It's Jerusalem versus Haifa. It's the last game of the season. And he didn't say this, but it's implied almost... 99% of the people all around us were supporting the Jerusalem team and already predicting that they would win. And some of them were scary dudes with their big muscles and their black t-shirts. They looked a lot like you, FP. I have a black t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> and some significantly sized muscles. <laughs> so then there we were. I was drinking some red wine. FP was drinking some beer wishing that we had sat across to on the other side of the street so he could get one of those hookah pipes <laughs> hookah hookah whatever <laughs> yeah they wouldn't service a hookah pipe on the side we were on because the we're, other side of the street is apparently the hookah side yeah although everybody smokes everywhere here yeah that's i don't right. know what the deal is with that but i guess that the bar the bar we were at didn't have the hookah pipes right that's for another night so we settle in with our drinks, watching the game, finally understanding what's going on. And we just started talking about whatever we felt like talking about. And then uh, we, the score's 1-1. One, one, 
and then Haifa scores. So it's 2-1. And you, know, you, see, you see the people around us were starting to get upset because their team was down 2-1 to one and there's only a few minutes left. And then it got really fun for me and really scary for FP. <laughs> we'll talk about our individual reactions. I started getting excited because, like, I'm an underdog. I'm cheering for Haifa. I want them to win because everybody around me has been celebrating in advance for 48 hours for this other team, and I'm like, that pisses me off. <laughs> so presumptuous. I'm going for the underdog, the guys that you do not want to win because that's how I'm shaped. So I'm sitting there watching this game, and then Haifa scores the third goal, and they don't even – the game is over for whatever reason. Maybe it was sudden death. I don't know. But the game's over. And the guys in the black shirts with the giant pecs, they're like lifting chairs. I'm going to make this out to be way more than it was just an illustration. They're lifting chairs. They're hitting the screen. No, they actually did. You didn't make that out. (laughs) A guy threw a chair on the screen. Right, but by just giving that one detail, it makes it sound like there's a whole bunch of other details, but that was really all that happened. (laughs) In our bar. But the tension there... With the people on the screen crying, like the people who are watching the game, the, the film cameras are filming, people crying, people with their heads in their hands, the guys around us, like, we're all like, walking out, they're all pissed. And I'm just sitting there like, this is dope. I am loving this because I live in my imagination and I like to make mundane things far more exciting than they actually are. That's why my brand is Hot Tub Spaceship, because you... Just a spoiler alert, spaceships aren't hot tubs, and hot tubs don't go into space. <laughs> like, what would you breathe, and would the water stay hot? Where would the controls be? But that's... You've obviously thought about that quite a bit. <laughs> I've had some some uh, haters hating on the, the drawing of the hot tub spaceship. They're like, those nacelles on the side, that would never work. I'm an engineer... <laughs> that would never happen. I'm an engineer. <laughs> that would never happen. Exactly. Yeah. So so I'm sitting there, three to one. People are getting irate. It could go either way, but I am oblivious to the danger, and I am just like, this is awesome. I'm smiling, but not too much, I think. You were smiling a lot. <laughs> you, were, you were smiling more than you normally smile, and you smile all the time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, sue me. <laughs> but actually, there is a serious reason for me not to smile, which FP is going to explain in a second. But at the time, and even now, I just didn't care because I was feeling joy, feeling happiness, enjoying. We had just had, I don't know, an hour and a half conversations about everything from the darkness in politics to the lightness in individuals. The nature of fear itself. Yeah, then the nature of fear and uh, whether we should overcome fear or have an intimate relationship with fear. And then we talked about red lights because that's something I talk about with almost everybody. And uh, all over the place while we're watching the game. And then game's over. I'm feeling super happy. But FP was not. <laughs> so I, was, I was not. He was I, not. Because no. he was feeling like, shit, Brian, I don't want to be a effing sheep dog. I'm like, what? <laughs> so I'm turning over to FP and I will interject. Well, see, see, here's here's the deal. In another life, back in the day, I used mm. to work at these bars and I uh, was a bouncer. Mm-hmm. 
And one thing that happens is one thing I've the the power that I'm most afraid of, I would say, in society, mm-hmm. is the power of the crowd, the power uh, of the, yes. the mob, the mob mentality. It's uh, it's something that um, you don't want to be caught up in. You don't no. want to have to mitigate because you cannot mitigate a mob. No, they, the emotions are exponential. You can't. It's it's a it's a virus. It's a it's like a viral experience for those who are caught up in it, mm-hmm. and it is super. Uh, dangerous, extremely dangerous. Can go from so there was a moment. That's right. There was a moment in this thing that I sensed very acutely, <laughs> where it could go either way. And in my experience, uh, there's a turning point. Mm-hmm. Either it gets diffused very quickly when it begins, right? In that cops show up and crush everything, or the bouncers all come out and they clean the house up. And and one they, bouncer did come up. And well, talk they, to well, well, they did. They came out right away. So what happened was the guy threw the chair at the screen. Guys came out. Uh, Muscular guys came out and yeah. they started arguing with them, and there was a bunch of back and forth. And we were sitting maybe thirty feet away. The main supporters were probably eighty feet away from us. So, and we had sat the very, very back, which which I thought was a wise tactical move. I'm always thinking this way because if you got to get out, you got to get out quick. Plus, and, it was the only table available. Well, yeah, it was the only <laughs> table available because we couldn't really see the screen because there's like some <laughs> trees between us and the screen in a yes. way. So you know, it was uh, it was ideal. It was. And in that moment, I realized this is either going to go one of two ways. Mm-hmm. It's either going to kick off large because for a couple of days it's been ready to kick off. And when that happens, it could go very badly. These people have been celebrating for 48 and hours. And they're very, very, dr- they're very, win. they're very drunk. They're <laughs> yeah, very drunk. Well, yeah. Yeah. Right? So there's no reasoning. There's no like, hey, hey, guys, I'm, <laughs> I'm just a tourist. It doesn't work that way in a mob. It's right? all for fun, guys. It's, yes, exactly. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Okay? So I'm very very aware of this. It's just and, a ball, guys. They're just kicking it around, guys. Yeah, it doesn't work on, that buddy. way. It's just a puck. We're just shooting it. No, no. Like there's, like, there's rides in Get Vancouver. Get those brass knuckles out of my face, buddy. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't work that way, right? So... So, like you know, it's one thing to be able to uh, defend yourself against some some hooligan. It's another thing to defend yourself against eighty of them. Like you cannot. There's no defense against this. So, so my good friend Brian here is sitting there with this uh, uh, endearing smile on his face, like a Cheshire cat. Like a Cheshire cat. And one thing about mob dynamics is there's it's it's about body language. At that point, it's about it's about the primal. Uh, response right. to things and so they look around in a crowd of depressed people and they say one guy smiling with his big white teeth like yeah. Brian does not only that but he's not one of them you can tell because he's tall and he's blonde and he's got these blue eyes and he's just a he's got socks in his sandals he's got socks and sandals for crying out loud he's not he's not one of us you see so all of this is all kind of running through my head at the moment mm-hmm. the chair is flying at the screen and I'm thinking to myself this all went down in a few seconds. Let's get out of here. And in those seconds, I was like, we're gone. Forget the freaking beer. I'll come back tomorrow. We'll pay for this tomorrow. I ain't, I ain't hanging around here. And I'm like, are you kidding? This is the best part of the movie. <laughs> and I'm saying, if this movie plays, this movie right now is at one of those uh, those juxtapoints, right? Where yeah. the movie ends up well with us walking back to our right. our nice little, as you call it, unit. And making a podcast, or this movie ends up with my friend Brian and me in the hospital. I, I, I'm not really into that that thing, so we got to get out of here, right? You well, know? Me, on the other hand, I was open to that possibility because what a great story! Going to a random hockey game that is involves so many emotions and people singing, literally 48 hours of singing. And then that team loses. 
and I'm there to witness it. That's gold. You can't, you can't orchestrate a holiday that has that type of drama in it. And I did not want to miss the final act. I was willing to pay the price to have a story for the ages to tell and become popular. <laughs> Everywhere I go, I could tell that story of that night when Haifa beat Jerusalem. But Rod didn't want, want well, none was, of that. But it's actually interesting because you just said it was a hockey game. Which we talked about. It's all <laughs> Did the I same. say hockey? Yeah, it's all the same around the world, though. That it is totally appropriate because... It's this, also this, why I was super happy in 1994 when the Vancouver fans were driving around saying, F you Rangers! And I, was, I wasn't at home. I was outside on the streets walking around taking it in. I suck? No. <laughs> I like to live. <laughs> on the edge. And, and, you know on, what? I gotta say one thing though. Okay. I say I like to live on the edge like I'm like some kind of Indiana Jones. And my buddies who know me, who grew up with me, they're like, dude, you're in Israel and you're in front of these like ancient things. Where's your fedora? Because they know that's my go to imagination. But I'm never actually in dangerous situations. I never actually find lost treasure. I never actually have been in a fight with anybody it's all in my imagination so tonight I talk about oh yeah great story to tell but I never in any moment of our time tonight felt one iota of actual fear but FP did and I honor that I respect that I I wasn't my heartbeat didn't go up it was not at fear it was anticipation of danger yeah it was not just like fake danger real danger Real danger. Potential, real. real potential danger. Exactly. So the takeaway from this story is... I don't know. What is the takeaway? <laughs> what is the takeaway? When you're hanging out and you have someone that's different than you, you got to honor and respect the differences. Did I honor and respect the differences? I did leave. You did leave. Yeah. <laughs> and you, and you, I, I noticed you made a conscious attempt to stop smiling when I said stop smiling. <laughs> it didn't work very well. <laughs> it was hard. I was just feeling so happy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I and I and I turned to you and I said, "Are you a good actor?" You said, "No, I'm a lousy actor." And I was like, "Inside, I'm like crap." <laughs> but you know, for whatever reason, things turned out. They did turn we're out. We're back in the unit talking about yeah. Sheep and, dogs. and in a moment, we might hear the sound of breaking glass, and we could maybe maybe like stick the the, the phone out the window and, and record that because yeah. it could it could very well happen. It could. Yeah. Now, did we already tell about what sheepdogging is? Well, it's no, we didn't. Did we use that term? Yeah, you did a couple times. I did. Well, that's, yeah. yeah, I just learned it thirty minutes ago from you. So okay, let's tell the audience and the folks at home what sheepdogging is. Oh so man, is. okay. So this is a this is a, in the in the world of in the security world, which mm. is which is it's not your world, Brian, really, but <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's my world. Okay, so. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in the past, I worked, uh, as I mentioned, I, I was a doorman for a while, but then I went to law enforcement for a while and got out of all that. But there's a there's a philosophy or a way of looking at the world in the law enforcement community that divides human beings into three categories. That is sheep, wolves, and sheepdogs. Mm. And the cops see themselves as sheepdogs. Right. The idea being that the average person population is a sheep. They just wander around and they follow the crowd and they follow the herd and they do whatever the herd is doing, <clears throat> and they're profoundly just unaware of the actual dangers of things. Right. 
There's a second category of people who are wolves, and they're the predators. The oh, people yeah. who pick on the uh, sheep, they find them, they, they understand, they're criminals. They're criminals. Uh, or they're just drunken hooligans or whatever, and they know when there's a victim because they're oblivious and, and uh, they, they're sheep. You know, they, they, wolves target sheep. Right. Then the, the, the law enforcement types uh, in America would be the CCW types, concealed carry weapon types, people who are into, you know, whatever that world would be. Right. Um, believe themselves to be the protector of all the sheep. That's right. All right. Whether the sheep are in their family or in their community or whatever. You see? Whether the sheep are safe sheep or idiot sheep like myself. No, there's there's no distinction. They're all just, <laughs> they're all just sheep, right? In this worldview, which I don't buy into. I mean, I I actually used to, and I and I was explaining that to you. I mean, I used to when you when you're in that you, when you're in the law enforcement or the bouncer world kind of thing, you know, yeah. you see the world that way, and people talk about it. And you're like, oh yeah, it's a good way of looking at things. All right, great, hmm. and it kind of maybe helps you in that sense. Would you call that a guiding narrative? For those in the protection industry, absolutely, Thank absolutely, you. it's a guiding narrative. Yeah, yeah, and it's and it's dominant. But I uh, personally think it's it's a very uh, it it for people who consider themselves sheepdogs, it's uh, it, it comes with a huge amount of, uh, of problems. It's mm. it's not uh, the way that I look at the world anymore, um, and there's a number of reasons for that. So it's not a healthy narrative to believe, or is it an essentially? Is essential and unhealthy at the same time. It's just, it's just legally libelous to believe that. It is um, morally, I think, uh, it, it, it assumes a high ground morally, but at the same time, uh, by its very nature, categorizes people into category into into, into, into segments that uh, I think are very problematic. I don't know what the better world word would be. Right. It gets sheepdog mentality people into a lot of trouble, and it doesn't help sheep people, or uh, or or you know, it really doesn't. And I think does this play into like those airport tasings where people die and stuff? I don't, probably. I mean, I don't know. I, uh, I, I don't know. The 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 thing is, if you think yourself, if you're one of these tough guys who think mm. that you're out there to protect everyone. If you're willing to put yourself... The white knights. The white knights. If you're a white knighter, and you're willing to put yourself into these situations where you're going to uh, lay your legal your, your life on the line, and we're talking like legally, I'm talking socially, mm-hmm. uh, all the implications are going to be on you for something that other people don't actually care about. Right. Like... They're not even going to acknowledge that. Let's bring a world, real world scenario. There was this. There's this guy down south who's being celebrated because he took down that naked shooter in that Arby's. You hear that story? Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. so, and so they interviewed <clears throat> this guy who he has, I guess he's had some uh, fighting history. He knows how to take down guys. He took down this guy with the gun, saved lives in this restaurant. And he says, I'm not a hero, I'm not a hero. Uh, but people are calling him a hero. And then um, this famous basketball player, I forget his name, not LeBron James, but this, uh, you guys listening to this know who this guy is. He finds out about this guy and finds out that this guy's, this not hero hero's actual hero is this basketball player. So he comes and meets the guy and like, surprise, I'm here. And the basketball player tells the guy that took down the shirtless assassin that when he tells his kids what kind of mentors and role models they should have he says it's this guy the, the shirtless takedown uh, hero 
So how does the whole not being a white knight, not being a good Samaritan in that sense, using your uh, toughness to save other people, how does, are we, should we do that or not? No, I think that's a great story. Mm. I don't think, without knowing anything about that situation, vaguely having heard about it, the guy doesn't sound like a sheepdog to me. He sounds like mm. a guy who made a, a, a decision in the moment to protect himself and and, and, and and as a result protected everybody. So there's Which, a difference. Oh, I don't know. Between I, a white knight and a just an average guy taking an opportunity to save An us. attitude difference, mm. I would say. There are some people out there who I'd like to think of myself as one. I don't know. But if you were in a situation where somebody came in there and was going to harm a lot of people, I'd be like, I'm just going to stop this. Right. Right? I'm going to stop this. This is not good. Yes. Right. Um, but not because I want to be a hero or save other people. It's just because I have an opportunity. Right. I have skills. Mm-hmm. I, you know, if, you, if you're like, I, if you have the confidence to take the guy down, you right. have an opportunity, which are rare things in those situations. Mm-hmm. Right? That's if right. You have someone who, who actually says I can do this and sees a, that brief instant but actually has the mentality to seize it. Yeah. Right? That's what I'm, what I'm gathering this guy did. Yeah. Is different than walking around thinking I'm a tough guy and I'm going to anybody who thinks they're going to be a tough guy I'm going to take them out. Gotcha. That's a whole different thing. Uh, wh- the example that we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in a situation one time where I crossed the border into Buffalo from uh, from where I was at University of Ontario uh, with a girl that I'd met, we'd gone to a bar down in in Buffalo, and on the way out there was a a street altercation where there was a guy who had a girl by the throat, yeah, kind of near an alley, and he was wagging his finger and slapping her. She yells at me and she says, "Stop the car! Stop the car! We got to do something!" So you know, I want to. This is your the your uh, the woman you're with. So she yeah yeah she stop yeah she stops the car wants me to pull. She says, "Stop the car! Stop the car!" She she wanted me to get involved, right? right. Because she knew I was you know I was at the time I was I was a bouncer blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at this situation. I'm in a different country. I'm in a different state. This, yeah. is, this is a totally foreign environment. It was inner city Buffalo, man. This was not a. This is not a, uh, a a nice suburban environment. Not to mention no travel insurance. I don't even remember. <laughs> I didn't even think about that back then. <laughs> I didn't even probably know what that was. You can get dinged for millions if you don't have travel insurance. Well, okay, so there you go. I, that makes it even in retrospect, <laughs> right? So anyway, she she stops. She rolls down the window and she's like, "Hey, buddy, stop that! You know, stop beating this girl." Yeah. Well. He comes over, he, he sort of lets go of her, and he <coughs> swears a little bit, and he runs at us, and he's like, blah, 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 and, and she wanted me to get out of the car and, like, deal with this guy. Right. There's no way. Because I'll tell you what's going to happen in 100% of those situations. Yeah. The, the guy was probably a pimp, and this was a hooker, or whatever. It doesn't even matter. Maybe some girl he just met at a bar. Yeah. You get involved in that, you know what's going to happen? She's going to shank you <laughs> while you're wrestling with the guy. Yeah. Right? Because, in her mentality, it's like, this guy, if I... If I attack this man who's attacking this my my boyfriend my whoever my pimp yeah he will love me more right you know he will think I'm great right That's right and that so like I know this stuff so I'm like no man screw that so we drove away she's a little upset with me but I you know I I, I mollified her feelings later. At the same time, <laughs> the I'm same, sure you did. <laughs> at the same time, so then I, a while later, a buddy of mine tells me a story where he actually got out. He was white knighting for some chick, and she yeah. wanted him to get involved. And like, let's see you and him fight, kind of stuff. Yeah. And he went out there, and anyway, he ended up in the hospital because that exactly happened. Right. He right. got attacked by the woman that the guy was slapping around, and the guy. So you know, this is just dumb. It's dumb. It's dumb. But as good human being. 
if you don't feel like you should be involved in this kind of thing, right? I mean, this is this is uh, something that if you're a decent human being and you see some guy slapping a girl, you should be stopping and doing something about it. In today's world, this is like well, 25 years ago, 30 years ago. So today, you know, I mean, you could whip out your phone and start filming and say, "Hey, I yeah. got you on camera." There's all kinds of there's all kinds of things you can do now. You got way more options than white yeah. hiding it. Well, back then, you know, it was it was kind of a little bit more raw, right? Yeah, in a sense. But it's that there's no advantage to you or anyone mm-hmm. to get involved with that. In fact, the risks are extremely high. The reward is extremely low. Right. For any right, you you know. I, I sort of, I, I've always sort of seen the world that way, but at the same time, I deeply acknowledge that if you don't feel anything or think you should get involved, um, you know, there's something wrong with you. Right. It's a good point. It's it's it, it, it something that you should get involved in. The question is how and what should you do. Right. Um, so there's a combination of compassion and uh, justice and smarts. You got to be smart about how you do it. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think there's been other situations since where I've actually had my phone. And I don't even think about filming something until later. Yeah. You know, like, I'm not like a filmer. Like, I don't think immediately of like, oh, let me get this on camera. Yeah. I, I, I don't know, for some reason that doesn't click in my head. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. For, you know. Usually these things happen so quick. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You don't have the time. Yeah. We'll summarize where we've come so far. There's danger in the world. <laughs> That's a revelation to everyone listening. <laughs> there is. There's danger in the world, people. You might want to write this down. <laughs> and there's also joy in the world. And tonight I was feeling the joy, but I was opening myself to potential danger. Yes. And, and here's going back to that. So what I was thinking at that moment, while the guy was throwing the chair and, you know, stuff could have kicked off. Yeah. I look over at Brian and he's smiling away. <laughs> he's that guy who does not belong here, who is not a supporter of the irate. Yeah. Who is uh, going to be at any moment a magnet for the frustrations, <laughs> the collective frustrations yeah. of 50 or more Large men. Maybe. Yeah. Or maybe not. Didn't seem, I, it didn't seem to concern you very much. No. Well, I was enjoying it as people were walking by me, making eye contact with some of the uh, females as I was leaving, and they kind of rolled their eyes, and I rolled my eyes like, stupid men. <laughs> so that was, I was, you know, connecting. You felt a little, yeah. you felt this connection. I met a, I met a, I felt a mild connection. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So anyway... So there we were at the Holy Sepulchre. <laughs> Jesus was sensing danger. That's the way the scriptures tell it. And his danger he felt was this world is dark. There's oppressive governments. And people think the only response to an oppressive government is violence. Jesus had the smarts and the compassion and the justice to find another way to combat that. And so when his buddy white knighted it and tried to chop off the ear of some soldier, Jesus says, no, that's not the way. Put the ear back on. Jesus put the ear back on, according to the legend. And when uh, Jesus saw the soldiers coming towards him to arrest him, he could have ran. But he didn't. He walked towards them because he knew it was the better way. Got arrested, showed the world through his death and resurrection 
legendarily speaking. I don't want to get into the resurrection today. But something changed during that event that we honored at the Holy Sepulchre. Something changed in human history. I believe that the human consciousness was raised a level because so many things in history changed after that event. Um, so we were there honoring it, honoring Jesus' compassion and his justice and his mercy and his smarts. And uh, there's this little place in the Holy Sepulchre where um, you can bow down under this uh, stone table and they say it's a piece of the place where Jesus died that this Miss Catherine, Constantine's mom, cut out of the rock where Jesus actually died, brought it to this church, put it there, they venerated it, put it under this table, and people line up to go underneath the table, kneel down, say prayers, and kiss it. So I was down there, and there's this picture of Jesus down there looking sad. This guy had no muscles. This Jesus had nothing. He's looking sad. He's looking down. And I couldn't think of a deep prayer to pray to Jesus. I just looked at the Jesus picture and said, Hey, Jesus, cheer up. It's not that bad. You changed everything. And so I left there feeling happy. Just like I left this soccer game feeling happy. Because Haifa won. <laughs> I'm just glad that I didn't start a fight with anybody. I don't think there's much of a chance of it, really. Yeah, I don't. I, don't uh, we can, I know you think that. <laughs> we can disagree on that point. <laughs> Any final thoughts? FP? That's a good day in Jerusalem. Good day. All right, folks at home, we are going to say good night. I'm just going to thank FP for being our guest this evening. Uh, have a safe ride home. <laughs> And uh, stay out of danger. Catch you later, folks at home. God bless.